my name is Barbara Iverson. I'll be your moderator today. Um, I'm an expert in interpersonal skills based here in Berlin. Um, in addition to the international sign language interpretation as part of our dialogue today, all of us appearing on camera are giving a short description of ourselves for those participating who are visually impaired. I am a white woman with medium length curly blonde hair wearing a black shirt and red lipstick. So with this series, we want to continue challenging the civil society sector with inspiring conversations based on the constant change that digitalization brings to our societies. Each discussion will be a call to action for CSOs to take a more active role in shaping our digital future. And today, like I said before, we're putting the spotlight on equality tech, empowering women and girls through technology. But before we hear from the panelists, I am going to turn it over to Suzanne Kramer and she is going to give you a message. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you very much, Barb. Welcome everybody. We're very happy to have you here with us today. Um, yeah, my name is Suzanne, as Barb said, and I'm the head of operations here at the International Civil Society Center. Today, I am speaking from Stuttgart in Germany. I'm a white woman. I have short brownish hair. I wear glasses and a white turtleneck sweater. As a center, we believe that one of the roles is to bring international civil society sector innovations into focus. And that we do with the digital dialogues, but also in other ways, such as, for instance, our innovation reports. There is a significant opportunity for organizations to benefit from more uh, from the lessons others have learned or are in the process of addressing, particularly in the context of complex common external challenges. Our innovation reports that we have been developing almost annually over the past years aim to support this. And this year's report is on civil society innovation and digital power shift. And we're looking at digitalization as a driver for civil society innovation and impact. And to give you a quick preview of that, I've brought you a few pictures here. And in, in this year's report, we've collected eight inspiring case studies from a range of organizations on a spectrum of digital equity, the generation and management of data lakes, and frontier technologies. The case studies from the international civil society organizations show how their approaches represent inclusive innovation and the different power dynamics they're addressing and they're capitalizing on in order to achieve more digital equity. We've also analyzed those case studies and developed eight key recommendations that CSOs and other innovators, movers, shakers in the civil society that are working to advance digital and data equity can take away. To give you a very brief sort of like sneak preview of what you can expect. Um, I quite like to share with you two um, ideas here. Um, once we've heard from Code for Pakistan who have developed a program which enables young IT professionals to work alongside government institutions to develop tech solutions that are desperately needed by these under-resourced departments. The fellowship program provides the fellows with training and mentorship from industry experts and also exposes them to the inner workings of government. At the same time, 
The fellowship program also introduces the government, on the other hand, the government offices to human-centered design concepts. The benefit then is twofold. Code for Pakistan enables people to make changes in government while also closing service delivery gaps. Another one is the Rainforest Alert, a joint project by Rainforest Foundation US and the organization of the indigenous people of the Eastern Amazon. In a study, the Rainforest Foundation showed that indigenous communities in the Peruvian Amazon that have direct access to satellite-based deforestation alerts are well-placed to investigate and to act on the alerts that they receive when they're trained. At the same time, this also democratizes data management, representation, insights, and analysis for community action to reduce deforestation very actively there in the region. And of course, and now here we go, we've heard from Plan International's Equality Tech, and we are very thrilled to um, be able to have their work presented here to us today and kick off the innovation report and to discuss plans approached jointly and together with toolkit iSkills. So I very much hope you get inspired by the real life examples of new approaches as, as I was when I was um, um, able to read through all the case studies. The case studies will be available as documents and we've also produced some podcasts with colleagues driving innovation and digital power shift in their respective organizations. You can find uh, out more about our report or the, uh, the report on the center's website and you can help us spread the word after the event. So thank you very much for now. Enjoy the conversation and now back over to you Barb and to Equality Tech. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And we have two panelists with us today. Um, as Suzanne mentioned, one is from Plan International and that's Jessica Herrera. She's joining us from Panama. And Anne Waweru from Toolkit iSkills is joining us from Kenya. We are looking forward to hearing from them. Um, as you saw, if you were here early, the agenda for today is that we'll have short introductions around five minutes each from each of the women um, talking about what their organizations are currently doing. And then there will be time for the two of them with uh, me involved, of course, to have a discussion together. And then after that, we will have time for the questions that many of you submitted at the time of registration. And we are so grateful for that. Thank you so much, Barb. Um, I am Jessica Herrera, as Barb was mentioning. I am connecting from Panama. I'm part of uh, plans, um, Plan International's global digital and innovation team as the equality tech program lead. I coordinate girl and women uh, engagement, digital empowerment and advocacy activities to raise awareness of bias in technology and advance gender equality in the, in the tech sector. Um, I'm currently, I am a Latina woman. I have dark wavy hair and I'm wearing a red blouse with blue stripes. Um, so before I get, I dive into the digital empowerment agenda we're working on and equality tech, I just wanted to briefly uh, just introduce who we are as Plan International. Plan International is a development and humanitarian organization that advances children's rights and equality for girls across 70 to 75 countries. 
in Asia Pacific, the Americas, Africa, and Europe. All our work focuses on enabling vulnerable and excluded children and young people to learn, lead, decide, and, and thrive. And particularly in this, in this space of equality tech, we believe that technology can be a powerful tool for girls' voices to become even louder and reach even further. So promoting digital girls' digital literacy and closing the digital gender gap will play a very important role in achieving gender equality and promoting the rights of girls and, and women uh, worldwide. So when it comes to the digital empowerment of girls, and I'm starting with this because these were the five different components that drove us to, to start the Equality Tech Project. Um, it started with building a world in which girls have the tools and the power to shape their own futures and influence decision-making and policy processes at local and global levels. And we thought these five different components as part of the digital empowerment agenda were gonna be the driving force on the different priority areas that we would be accomplishing with Equality Tech. So the first one, access to safe uh, online spaces. Online spaces and digital tools allow women and girls to organize more efficiently and be able to join global action for common causes they're passionate about, such as fighting harmful gender stereotypes. So being able to have workshops, teacher training, cybersecurity classes, and similar initiatives are important to provide girls and boys with the knowledge and skills they need to stay safe online. Online safety becomes a barrier that silences girls and young women. It becomes a barrier like shies them away or they, are, they feel like they are not able to participate because this environment becomes so hostile. So being able to create new safe online spaces, but even for them to have the tools to be able to navigate the current uh, environment is super important as the first um, area. The second one is training and skills development. So meeting girls and young women where they are to provide them the opportunity to gain the technical and digital skills to succeed. But it's not just in terms of succeeding in the labor market, but it also providing girls with training on how to effectively take advantage of technology for activism, for awareness raising and campaigning, what also teaching girls about you know, issuing, uh, issues concerning safety can be a really powerful tool for enabling more girls to become agents of change in this space and leaders in, the, in their communities. The third one is challenging uh, gender barriers, social norms and gender-based discrimination. Uh, it is essential uh, that all relevant stakeholders, family, government, civil society, and the private sector work together to remove barriers that currently prevent women and girls from accessing and using technology on equal basis as men and, and boys. There must be a concerted effort to challenge these barriers and be able to work together with girls so they are empowered to become advocates and innovators and creators on, on technology. Only this way, we're able to create more technology that reflects their perspectives, their needs, 
and um, they're able to, to use it in a the very unique way that girls and women um, do. And for the last two, these two go hand in hand. Actions promoting girls' digital empowerment should always be guided by the principle of engaging girls and women as active, capable partners in our work, not merely passive recipients or targets of our interventions. Rather than making assumptions about what girls want and need from technology, it is important to work together with them to strengthen and develop their use and creations of, of digital tools. And the last one is with this digital empowerment, I think it's, it, it's important for us working in this space to simply create platforms, spaces, give them the tools and clear the path and open the door to let girls be the change agents and leaders and have that opportunity to mentor others and create a, a movement in this space. So uh, moving on to the next slide, please. So with this in mind, and, and these five very strong um, core pillars, we created Equality Tech. So Equality Tech was designed as part of the digital empowerment agenda, and it was defined to harness the power of technology to challenge harmful norms and stereotypes, and not, not just towards more inclusive behaviors. So basically, it was important to recognize the role of women and girls, not just as users and consumers of technology, but as developers, as advocates and creators as well. So we designed a girl-centered methodology where girls could have opportunity to reflect on their own lives, including their perspectives, their dreams, their aspirations, their barriers, everything that was related to technology, as well as the inequities or discrimination they, they would be facing. So regardless if the issue were to appear gender neutral, it was necessary to consider how girls and women would, would be affected and how was this impacting their lives. So beyond this reflection, it was also important for us to provide a space for ideation, to reflect on the issues, but also how they could be um, providing solutions and ideas to overcome these. So the methodology was a reflection space and an ideation space intended to instill confidence and agency in girls by promoting their leadership in the design of digital solutions to issues that directly affect them. We piloted this methodology in over 15 workshops, uh, getting together girls from 12 countries in Latin America, Europe, Africa, and Asia, it was a group of about 100 girls uh, coming together in workshops in English and Spanish. And one of the results is the, the idea that you see now in the screen, which is my beauty lies beneath. It was repurposing the idea of a beauty filter, but actually focusing on your capacities of who you are, looking beyond the beauty in the screen and encouraging other girls and young women to still use technology, but in a different way. Um, with this with these, uh, methodology, uh, with this methodology, um, beyond you know, the, the getting together of the girls through the workshops, I think the biggest realization was that girls and young women play a key role at every stage of the process. And they were able to conduct workshops themselves, start a movement where they would mentor others, they would contextualize, everything that they learned in these workshops and be able to start a, uh, a movement 
that we could be learning throughout the process to be able to provide online spaces and frameworks for them to continue this experimental learning and um, passing it on to you, Barb. Great. Thank you so much, Jessica. Lovely to see all of that and share with us. There you are. Great to see you. Um, share with us about what Toolkits iSkills is doing. My name is Anne from Toolkit iSkills. Today I wear a flower dress and a white blazer. I joined Toolkit iSkills in 2018 as the head of the digital skills pillar to implement the online training and deployment portal, which took it developed after the award from the Habitat for Humanity. And this was re in recognition to Tukit to, to iSkills innovation in the construction sector. So Tukit is a leader in powering Africa with skilled, confident, and productive youth. And um, Tukit iSkills is a Kenyan-based social enterprise founded in 2014 and the goal of, of disrupting youth unemployment. And uh, to get excuse, we train vulnerable youth and women, and we certify their skills with regulatory bodies, and then we link them to the employment and entrepreneurship. So the Tukit iSkills Digital Skills Pillar supports five other pillars. They are the online jobs pillar, the construction sector skills pillar, the organic farming skills, the consultancy and research and renewable energy sector skills pillar. And through this, we have the online training and deployment portal where we conduct online training and we are currently supporting over 1000 young people from 11 most ma marginalized counties in Kenya. And what we are doing for the young women, I would summarize it in three areas. And then we are going to ask for Rian to show us a video for us to hear a story from one of them, just to feel how, just to hear from them what they, the, the impact of what they have gained from Toolkit. So the first area we are, we are empowering young women is through ref, the refugees. So we have in September and currently, starting from September, we have, uh, electricians that are undergoing solar skills training. We all know that uh, solar skills is an enabler for economic empowerment. And it's also a skill that the, the training is a skill that opens avenues even and for women is something they can easily do. They can be able to adapt to easily and continue with their, their lives, whether they are parents or they are just young mothers or they are still young and vulnerable. It's an avenue that gives them employability, especially when they are in refugee status. So that is one of the areas we are reaching young women. The other one is on agribusiness skills. We have an internship program for young women that empowers them with agribusiness skills. And we integrate in it some digital skills that help them to set up their own enterprises and also to increase their employability in the agribusiness sector. This is something that has really empowered them. And we are truly, uh, we are looking forward to even reaching more and um, this some area we are seeing impact not only in the in enhancing the health, 
but also in, in enhancing the economic um, abilities. Then in, in since COVID-19, we initiated a program that is supporting the young women in the other sectors, the other pillars in Tukitai skills that enables them to find an, another option for employability. So when COVID came, there was an, a, a challenge for some of them to get bread on the table, to get food on the table. So we partnered with the ISA HIT and we are currently training the young women in skills such as annotation that gives them higher order skills that give them even better pay. So online jobs is another area that uh, we are empowering the youth. So now, Jessica, would you and Anne both turn on your cameras again, join me here um, so we can have a little bit more of a discussion together. Um, um, I want to ask both of you, um, which, and I, and I know that you've highlighted, so Anne, you have um, the example of Martha who has been learning scaffolding um, and Jessica, you have like the, the filter change. Um, and I wonder if there are other sort of um, programs that you have seen that have really worked well in the environment with these young people, these young women to um, give them tools. If there's maybe other points that you can highlight for us, things that have really worked well for you, because I'm gonna come around to the other side of some of the barriers in a second. But first, um, how can we celebrate with you what you've seen in terms of programs that are really working? Um, like specific things. So Jessica, I'll come back to you first. Yeah, um, one area that worked really well, and we actually didn't expect this to happen so fast at the very beginning, because we started Equality Tech just a, a little bit over a year ago, was the fact that girls coming from these workshops, they would actually ask us what happens next, and we'll ask us, can, I, can we get the modules? Can we translate them? Can we contextualize them to include other girls? These workshops are online, but can we modify them to actually reach girls that don't have the access, you know, don't have the opportunity to come online and connect and have these conversations. There was a lot of initiative and a lot of like just having that motivation to just like spread the word and actually create a movement. And it's something that we thought was going to happen later on, but just but by providing that really safe space for them to discuss, for them to brainstorm and just inspire each other and then really just actually asking the question, what do you need in order for you to create this movement? And they would ask, I need this and that, and then just kind of becoming those enablers and letting them be the, the leaders. So that was one, one story that I can highlight here. That's super exciting. Thank you. Um, and, and shows just that natural inclination to wanting to pass on what they've received to others, knowing that not everyone um, has those opportunities. That's really incredible. Thank you for that. And what about you? What are some other success stories that you've had? Thank you so much. I just um, would like to continue with the story of the empowering the women to venture into an untapped areas. We all know that the construction sector is male dominated. So took it as a new innovation in using technology to train welding. 
using welding AR to and VR to train welding. So this is a gender friendly, it's women friendly because we know that welding is mainly done by men and their environment for welding is not very, very conducive, not only for the women, but also for the men. And it requires a lot of safety precautions. It's also very costly, but there's a new innovation that uh, took it, we are implementing, and we are uh, training welders using VR. And this is enabling them to master that skill, just using a laptop, make their mistakes and get their confidence and before they go to the practicals. And the one more thing is that the founder of Two Kids is a Jane Mwegai Campus. She's a lady. So just by being there, she's a role model and makes the women also feel confident that they can also do it. Thank you. Wow, I love hearing this, that something like VR is training young people to do welding. I, I would never have thought that was possible, but it's incredible what technology can provide um, in, a, in a much safer environment. That's um, incredible, great to hear. Um, so on the other side, I'm gonna come to you first, Anne, on this and then to Jessica. Um, but on the flip side, what are some of the barriers that you're seeing um, that have made this more difficult? I'm, I'm sure a lot of us can already imagine some of them, but um, perhaps uh, something that you've seen that, um, in fact, maybe other CSOs might be able to help you with. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there and, and you can share with us what you've seen and what you are hoping for to make things better in the future. So, Anne. Thank you so much. So when we look at some of our beneficiaries, actually, all our beneficiaries are from marginalized backgrounds and most of them, but for these initiatives that we have, they would never have had an opportunity. So most of them have the, they dropped out of school. So their literacy levels are low. So we usually have to do some sensitization and we also have a signature life skills course, which we, we would like to continue to digitize. We've already started the process, but we would work with others to digitize it. It's called My Individual Potential. It enables them to settle in and to unleash their full potential. And this is one area that enables them, despite their low literacy level, to get the confidence that they need and also working with partners so that we can have more infrastructure for example, smartphones and other and internet and other connectivity that, that is a challenge. So some of the challenges we've had is some youth beneficiaries, the young women, they've never used a smartphone before. Here we are, we have an online course. So that's one of the areas that we would partner with and also reach more women in terms of their literacy levels and also the techno the infrastructure so we can get them reach them where they are thank you great what a what a great point yeah the infrastructure is important jessica how would you answer that question about some of the challenges that you've had and what could help um, from other cso's yeah, I think um, echoing uh, a lot of Anne's points, I think the infrastructure and be able to, to meet girls where they are has been a big challenge for us. We started this during the, uh, the pandemic and the very beginnings of the pandemic. So 
we started with a really small group of girls that we knew had the access, you know, the, the you know, basic digital literacy levels. But if we want to really reach the impact that we want this project to be and meet girls where they are, being able to, you know, actually integrate this into all, all our, our programs and plan plans main program participants are also from marginalized backgrounds is taking into account that the modules that we include need to uh, cover digital literacy and the basic digital skills, um, being able to become really innovative and in how we bring, you know, digital training into rural areas that don't have access to, to internet. So uh, we've been you know, researching other projects in plan, such as the nomad schools that bring tablets to different areas of, of, of the country and be able to uh, give access to, to girls and young women that don't have it. So right now we're trying to innovate and how can we bring this, this program offline, but still um, not losing that skills development, innovation, ideation part of the, of the program. Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> um, I Before we come to some of the questions that were shared around the registration, I um, really appreciate the question that Sayi, I believe, put into this before, and that was um, sharing how you measure impact. And I think this, um, for some, is really an important question um, because the individual stories are incredible. Um, but then again, how do we how do we know the impact that's being made on a larger scale? And so, um, could each of you share just a bit about how um, Plan International and how Toolkit are are measuring that impact? Go ahead, Jessica. Um, yeah. So what we're doing right now is uh, we're taking a, a step back to to reflect on all the work that that's been done. We're going to be partnering with external organizations to do an actual evaluation of what worked, what didn't, but also support us in developing an actual framework that has you know really strong objectives, KPIs that will help us to measure that impact beyond the stories and taking into account that this project is becoming more of a girls' movement that is rapidly growing, like how can we how can we track that impact? So right now the stage where we are is documenting the lessons learned, um, working on the, on the evidence and really, you know, taking a pause to actually put all these frameworks in place. So I don't actually have a concrete good case practice answer, but these are like the next steps that we're all, questions that we're also asking ourselves in at this stage of the project. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> The, the real place that you're in is important to know about too. All right, thank you. Anne, what about you? Thank you, I just add something in addition to what Jessica has highlighted in just around the behavior change, focusing on areas that uh, the impact is focused in terms of uh, their entry behavior and uh, what, has, what, the, what are the empowerment in terms of the literacy levels, in terms of the social impact. And we have had also some of them sharing stories of how they 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 are now moved from, uh, they have now built, a, a set up a business for their family. Others have even 
built a small shelter and for a better shelter for their families just from the income that they are earning. So it's we focus most of it on around the behavior change and just getting the case studies and also in addition to the balance scorecard and all, we have the behavior change as our main focus. Thank you. Great. Several of the questions that we've had um, that came in with the registration are covering some of the some similar things and specifically about reaching women and girls where, as you've both talked about infrastructure and digital literacy, but in places that have lower um, internet resources and connectivity, what's being done and and what in fact needs to be done how can how because there's so many people who are here from other cso's and and let how can this be an opportunity for um for other cso's to become aware of what what might need to happen for greater access um for those women those more marginalized communities um because of connectivity issues and would you like to address this first? Yeah, thank you very much. What I would say is partnerships, 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 and a lot of flexibility. Because what we have um, done is, uh, in, 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 like, for example, when, when COVID came, we had a program sponsored by the Safaricom Foundation. And the youth that we were reaching, they could, they, we, we, we needed to get, reach them with the training. And immediately the partnership with the technology company provided 70 of them with the devices. So we were able to reach more just from that partnership where 70 of them got devices that they never had before. Then we have the institutions that our training partners, aside from the training partners, we have other training other training entities so that we encourage the youth to use the, the, the training entities that are closest by and they can find the, the, the facilities. And we also have partnerships where we bring them together and they are able to, to come and we provide our own internet. So for that particular day, they have access to the internet and then we, we are leveraging now on how to empower the institutions we are working with. So the partnerships has enabled us to reach more youth and the, the women in particular, we, we, we work with the training partners and find out where they are at and we empower them to also reach out. So it helps, it's like a ripple effect. So that's one thing that uh, we, we have found has worked. And aside from that, there is the creativity and innovation and being flexible so that instead of having an on an, a purely online course, we have now hybrid where we also facilitate and also do the training for the ICT instructors in those institutions. So we did a training and they also are empowered to reach even better and reach even more. So those are areas that I could say, but the key has been the partnerships and the flexibility and innovation. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And I imagine that there's a significant number of these companies, these for-profit companies, 
who want to also make an impact in these communities and, and don't always know how. And so they need the leadership from the CSOs to say, hey, this is what we, this is what you can provide that we don't have the resources for, but you do. Um, and I imagine that's also true for things like the VR uh, for training welding, uh, because that would take an incredible amount of work um, to set up, but at the same time, be quite a phenomenal program um, to give back into those communities. Okay, great, thank you, Anne. Jessica, what would you like to add to this about um, how, to, how to reach into more of those marginal communities? Um, agreeing with Anne in terms of uh, the first part is partnerships and really being creative about how you, you can uh, envision these partnerships. Uh, one of the most amazing projects I saw um, a couple of years back was partnering with the local radios to uh, provide digital literacy and skills development. So it was a technology project that used radio and each module had homeworks and had different things that they had to do at home, but it was using radio because none other channel was reaching those particular communities. And it was so successful that modules kept being added on and at the end, they had a they had a contest, and it was all offline, just using the the radio as that communication channel. Sometimes when we when we need to innovate, it doesn't necessarily have to be you know going all the way to artificial intelligence. What's happening next? But it's sometimes it's it's looking at what we already have and what channels are already there, and being able to to work with those with those local partners. Um, and the second part, I think, is also being able to like um, take a step back or a pause and listen to, to the people you're working with, specifically in our case, to be able to listen to girls and young women and actually understand how they want to use the technology, what are their needs, what are the barriers? Because if you are able to understand where they're actually they are, then you're able to you know, be able to come up with solutions and what type of partners do you need? So if, if the case is you know, actually be having access to uh, gadgets for them being able to to build their skills then you can like look for those types of partnerships but if it's more on the wi-fi i've seen a lot of innovation on mobile uh, wi-fi that is powered by you know solar energy so i think being able to understand where your audience is and where your your users are you're able to to adapt those interventions yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I think that ties in closely with what you said before about as these girls were learning from you, they were already thinking about how to adapt and how to take what they learned to someone else. And I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of listening um, to hear uh, what they need and where it could come from, because it could surprise us. Um, so wonderful. Uh, there's a really interesting question here that came from Jonathan in Germany, and um, I, it's a big question. So if you feel overwhelmed by it and are not sure how to answer, I'm going to say from the start, you don't have to have all the answers, but I'm curious um, if your experiences give you some wisdom and insight that you can share. Um, and that is, he says, they have an existing large online community that's predominantly composed of very privileged individuals, um, which is the experience that a lot of us have, um, that we're not encountering so many of these um, 
people from more marginalized communities. And uh, so what techniques exist to redirect and expand that community to become more equitable, more inclusive, um, sharing in that diversity of backgrounds? Um, and again, if this feels like, oh, <laughs> It's a bigger question than you can than you can tackle. I totally understand, but I'm curious if you have insights or thoughts on um, or experiences that can shed some light on just any any ways that you've seen this expand. I think that's a really good term. And I see you nodding. I'm going to come over to you first and hear what would you say to that question. She's laughing and not unmuting herself. Does that mean that you? <laughs> oh, maybe hundred in a small way, and maybe <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, we're having connectivity issues, but I'm we can hear you now. So go ahead. Really packed. I'll handle it in a very small way, and maybe yes, yes, yeah. So whenever there's a need there is a drive. So it would be to find out there are any, any needs that would be driving the, the reach. And um, always, anytime there is a drive, there'll be more people coming in because passion comes with the drives of need and how can technology bring out those. And these days technology enables a lot of collaboration. Probably they maybe a new geographical interaction with other locations that exposes them to things that are different and makes them appreciate the, the things that are not there. Or if somebody has internet, if they come across somebody without internet, that will be a game changer for them. And it will bring conversation and bring a lot of things that can happen. And it could be the internet, but there is a lot of risks with it. So there is always something that, so long as there's a training, I mean, and an, a needs assessment and, and, and to look for the pain points that each of them is achieving and how can technology come up and what collaboration can be done, who else can be brought on board and who can bring others on board. I don't know if I got it right, but I said it's, huge only it I is can huge. tackle in a very small way <laughs> absolutely and and that's i appreciate that and that's um the very best that i could hope for as an answer something small that can be done thank you uh jessica what about you how would you answer that um i think representation goes a long way and and feeling that you're gonna be be heard um i think it all starts with selecting a, a couple number of champions because sometimes the organic strategy or the organic efforts don't necessarily work. Um, so being very intentional about inviting specific number of, of people that are going to be bringing that diversity aspect. So having a group of champions that can also give feedback on the topics that are being discussed, on the agenda that's being discussed, because that might be the barrier that's not allowing for a different group of people to join the, the conversation. So having that representation and that diversity and you know, having these people in, you know, involve and invite other people and slowly um, start changing how that group looks like. So I think that would be the place where I personally would start. I've seen that 
in me as a participant, you know, like it can be intimidating when you know that the conversation is driven a different way. But once you know, at least you're going to be seen and heard um, because there, there is someone, someone else there that it's providing that space. I think that goes a long way. I, I think you're right. All right. We have come to the point that we need to wrap it up, which of course is always sad um, because I, for one, can say I really appreciate hearing from both of you the stories, um, the, the joys and the celebrations that you have um, as you're seeing results and impact in your communities. And so that's always exciting to hear. So um, thank you for sharing your stories. And um, I hope that those, all of you who are joining us, who are listening, um, are also inspired and that this, maybe specifically, I'm really um, impacted by this idea of partnerships and what that can look like, that maybe um, all of you start thinking a little bit broader outside of your current partnership zone um, to figure out how that might help broaden and expand even your impact where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, there's always people who want to get involved and don't know how. And if you do know how, uh, tell them. <laughs> That's where we're going to wrap it up. Um, but I really want to say thank you to Jessica and Anne. Thank you for taking your time to talk with us today and um, share what's happening in your worlds. And we wish um, the very best for you in the continuation of your projects. Thank you to you who've joined us from around the world. We're really grateful that you joined us today. 